Well, it is, uh, it's nice to be teaching somewhere other than Texas this week because, number one, as he said, it's really cold there right now. And I don't mind being a snowbird even if it's just for a weekend. I'm okay with that. Um, but also, in Texas, like, if, you, if you're speaking on a Sunday, you have to be acutely aware of what time the Cowboys play. And... <laughs> I don't think there's a whole lot in here that are really caring about what time the Cowboys play today. There might be some back in the back row somewhere. I don't know. All right. <laughs> but, I mean, I have to set my watch by, and the, the preacher will tell me, he'll say, well, Cowboys don't play till 3, so if you go a little bit long, it's all right. But, you know, if I speak in a church where they play at noon, boy, they're, they're wanting a quick 15-minute message, and I'm out. <laughs> so I do my best. Um. But, you know, I, I was really excited when I talked to Brian about the topic that you guys are dealing with this week, or this month, I guess, and, and talking about the light of the world. Uh, it's one of my favorite topics, and it really led me into a lot of fun time of study over the last few weeks and preparing just to kind of be here with you guys. And uh, my style is a little bit different. I just want to have a conversation with you all about what I've been learning in my study in God's Word uh, and just share some experiences and things like that. So I really just kind of want this to be casual and, and just, you know, be able to share with you what God's teaching me. Uh, I'm not anybody special. I don't have some great degree or something. Um, but I love God's Word. I love God's people. And so I just want to be able to share with you a little bit about uh, what He's doing and hope that you're as amazed as I am at, at how awesome He is. Um, so I know you were talking about the light of the world. And uh, really, in order to truly understand and grasp the light of the world, um, you first have to understand the darkness of the world. Um, because the light wouldn't be necessary if we weren't so dark. And in my career, uh, I've, I've, most of my career has been in very difficult places, and the Lord has given me opportunity to see really dark things. Um, and it has affected me uh, not always in a negative sense, but it, it has helped me to understand and appreciate uh, the truth of the gospel um, because I've seen the wickedness of men. Um, both the hard places in the Amazon, there were certain difficulties that we saw, but specifically uh, you would see that, that people would do really bad things to one another. And then I, I've gone and lived now for five years in Africa, and there's a reason why they call it the dark continent. And I know that's not popular to say because, you know, right now we want to say only good things about other people. And the truth is, is it's a dark place because there's some really ugly things that have taken place there and even right now are still taking place in Africa. Uh, one of the countries in which I work, I, there was a BBC report this week um, that said they're currently participating in genocide right now, today. Um, there's one tribe that's killing another tribe uh, in South Sudan. Today, just because, the, frankly, just because they have different scars on their forehead, um, and one wants power, and the other one, uh, they want to destroy him. Um, and in today's culture, what we like, what we hear a lot is, you know, people are are basically good. You know, they're, people are generally good. They're good people. Well, you go to a place where there is no law, there is no rule of law, and you'll see what people are really like. Here. People are good because they're afraid of the punishment that comes with being bad. 
But if you don't have any punishment, if there is no rule of law and you can do whatever you want, you live in a place like that and you see the hearts, the true hearts of men. And what our hearts are like, all of us in this room, before we knew the light, our hearts are dark. And we want only what's good for us, no matter the cost. Uh, and I'm going to show you guys, this is usually um, some kind of fun stuff, but uh, I'm going to show you some of the things that I've walked away with from Africa, um, and they're really interesting, but it also shows you, once again, the darkness. Uh, these are called wrist knives, okay? All three of these are uh, called wrist knives, and they're from the tribe that I live with called the Karamashong. And it has a leather strap here, and, and this is where they would put their wrists, and yes, it's very small. They're very skinny, skinny people. Um, but whenever they would go to battle, they take that leather throng off, uh, and they would have these on their wrists, and they would fight, and they would just slash at people, okay? Now, you see the brownness around there? A lot of that's just grime, but these are real, and there's blood on that from killing people. And you meet with these guys. A lot of these are elders. They're older men, and they're nice. They're good people. I mean, you sit down and talk with them, but you realize there's a dark side. And basically what it came down to in these instances is that there was another tribe that had cows. They wanted those cows, and they killed men so that they could get their cows. That's the darkness of the world. Um, some other stuff here. Here's another one. This is from the Samburu tribe. And this is, uh, was given to me by, by one of their elders. And this is a sword from the Samburu. And this is not used in the garden. This is a raiding sword, okay? Uh, and they, the Samburu would cross the border from Kenya over into, into Uganda, and they would fight my tribe with this sword. Um, and once again, the grime on this, this sword has killed men, okay? Um, like, they didn't create these implements um, to look nice. They created these things to get their way. Because in our nature, in our fallen nature, that's what our drive is about, is to get what we want. Just some other things. These are from different cultures. Um, these are from cultures in Chad. Um, just interesting. I, they're old. I don't know the history behind these. I know the, I know the tribe they're from. Um, these are from the Tuareg. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard about the Tuareg. Uh, but the Tuareg were, are probably the most notorious uh, warrior tribe in all of Africa, specifically in northern Africa. And Gaddafi uh, used the Tuareg tribe as his personal guard. And so these are from some of them. Um, this, is a, this is a Dinka spear, and it is extremely sharp. Uh, now, certainly these things did get used for hunting as well. Um, but the reason they were made uh, was not for hunting. Um, the reason they were made were... Uh, for the evil things that, that, we, that we men oftentimes do to each other. Another one from Chad, uh, if you guys want to see. And after, after we're done tonight, or this morning, if you guys want to come up and look, you feel free to come touch and feel. But this is also from Chad, from the Chadian Arabs. Um, I just wanted to show you a little bit of that and let you know that, like, all these things, like, are really interesting. It's interesting to know the culture. But whenever you live there, you see the dark side of these things. Um, you see, you know, them killing one another and just complete 
disregard for human life and honor and respect and instead of doing anything with the body, just letting it be eaten by hyenas or throwing it in the river and abandoning of children um, because they don't want to share their food. Hard stuff to see and just to take in and I've seen many a missionary be completely swallowed by that. And they go home because they can't take that darkness anymore. Uh, they can't see. They can't. They they run out of tears, and they're just broken. Um, but I haven't yet, because I, the, this darkness reminds me of the contrast, which is the light. And as we'll read later, the light cannot be overcome by darkness. No matter where I go, I'm surrounded by that, but I know that I'm a light here, and they can't overcome me because I have the light of life in my heart. And that's the whole purpose that we've come. If you would, please turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read um, verse 22 and 23. It says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? Um, this is Matthew just talking about the depravity, the depth of depravity of man. Now, I want to I I share with you a story of, about, about a, a woman uh, and her nephew uh, the woman's name is Langolomoy. It's a very difficult word to say, but her name, Langolomoy. And her nephew um, was, Langolomoy was, I would guess, probably in her 70s. Her nephew, his name is Moses. Langolomoy has a slot of land uh, off of one of the main roads. And she's been farming that land for probably, I don't know, 55, 60 years. And Moses, her nephew, decided that he had heard that there were some companies and things moving in the direction of our village, and he decided that he wanted that land. And so he began to do all kinds of things to take it from her. Uh, first, uh, he, he told her that um, well, she had a son that got sick and ended up dying, and he told her that if... if uh, he was allowed to farm that land for a period of three years, he would pay for that son's uh, medical care. Well, the son ended up dying, and he farmed that land for about three years, and then uh, after the three years was over, he, he got her sons to sign a document saying that uh, this land now belonged to him, and they told her that it, was, that it said something else, and she was not, she's not able to read, and so they got her to put her thumbprint on that document uh, confirming that the land now belonged to him. Uh, whenever she began to plow that land, he came and stopped her, brought the police. They told her she was no longer allowed. They were looking at the paper, and she was completely destroyed. And she realized, I mean, this woman is in her 70s, uh, and she's still working her garden to feed herself. And she realized, if I don't have a way to farm this land, I'm going to starve to death. And starving is not a way that anyone wants to die. And so she took a rope, she wrapped it around her neck, she climbed up in a tree, and she hung herself. 
And in speaking with Moses later, I spoke with him. Uh, you can guess it wasn't a very pleasant conversation. Um, I will give you a glimpse of the future. She does not die when she hung herself. She survived. And I spoke with Moses, and he says, because we're trying to kind of help with her, with her financial needs. And he says, I want her to die. Because I said, I offered to pay for anything that she owed him and to buy the land from, what, from him, even though it was hers to begin with. And he says, no, I want the land. I said, she's going to die. She's going to kill herself. He says, I don't care. I want the land. And this goes back to this, cha- this chapter in Matthew. How deep does that darkness go? All of us have one. All of us have a dark place in our hearts that we don't want anybody to know about. Uh, maybe we know about it. Our wives don't know about it. Our children don't know about it. Um, but whenever there is no light, that place goes really deep. But whenever the light is in you, it reveals those dark places, and it has the power to overcome those places if you allow it. Uh, I will tell you, but without getting too far ahead of myself, Moses has never come to faith. Um, and we have shared with him and shared with him and shared with him, and he has continued in his um, wretched behavior. Um, I um, have the unfortunate, well, I'll tell you about that later. Let's go ahead and look at Luke. Let's go to Luke chapter 1, verse 76. Now, this is really interesting. I, I, I read this this week, in, or last week in prepare, preparation, and just fell in love with the wording of this. Um, this is whenever uh, Zechariah, who is the, the father of um, John the Baptist, uh, is prophesying, and this is after he has been uh, silent. His, he was struck with, uh, what do you call it, where he can't speak. Uh, he was struck with uh, dumbness, I think is the word. Uh, he couldn't speak for a period of time, and then whenever they lifted that, he began to prophesy. And he prophesied both about his son and about the Messiah, who is Jesus. And um, down in verse 76, he's talking about John. He says, and child... You will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. And here's where we get to Jesus. Because of, of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So this is talking about Jesus, and, and it's comparing Jesus to a dawn that happens. And you guys know how dark it gets, and they always say that the darkest hour is right before dawn. You feel that sense of darkness. But whenever that sun cracks over the top of the horizon, you begin to have hope again. You begin to, and that's what he's saying Jesus will be. The dawn, the light will come, and he will give us hope, and he will shine on all this darkness. But he also tells us here the reason... Uh, for the darkness. He says, uh, to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death. Where does the darkness come from? The darkness comes from the shadow of death. And so like, you know, anytime that you're anywhere and you see, it's because something is blocking the light, blocking the light from a place. And anytime that we have that, it's sin. The wages of sin are death. 
And it's because of sin and death that has entered into the world that we cannot see the light. Now, uh, I have uh, a new perspective. I've taken this job as the cluster leader, I guess, about two years ago. And with it came some responsibilities that I was not prepared for. Anytime you go into a new job, you know, you look at your boss and you think, well, maybe I could do that, you know, but you have no idea some of the things that he does. And one of the things that that I have had to take on is every day I get a security report uh, from South Sudan. And it tells me, it lists for me all the things that happened in the last 24 hours in South Sudan. And I will tell you, it is the worst part of my day. Every day at 11 o'clock, I get this security report, and it tells me how many people were raped, how many people were murdered, how many people are stranded and starving, where there were ambushes, all these things. And I take it in every day, and I'm required to read this. And, you know, this recently, as I was reading it, it was really starting to weigh heavily on me, and I just was getting to a point where I was feeling overwhelmed by it, uh, just by the darkness of, of the things that are going on there. And I came back to that verse, you know, the wages of sin uh, are death. And I, I, I felt conviction from the Lord. You know, Jeremy, you've really made that to be a really nice verse. You use it to teach things. But let's think about this for a while. Any of us who have been around death, real death, here in America, we like to make it nice. You know, we put them in a coffin and we put makeup on, we put their nicest clothes on, they're embalmed, all these things, and we try to make death pretty, but it's not. It's foul and it stinks and no one wants to look at it. The natural way that death happens is something that none of us want to see or remember. And that is what Jesus said, the wages of sin are that. We're rotted out from the core, we stink, we, all of the things that are good about us go away. And as I began to walk through this process with the Lord and I was kind of meditating on this passage, um, I recognized that even me, I don't want to be reminded by, about death, but the Lord wants me to remember death. He wants me to remember the stench of what sin does to people. And as I said, I see it every day. I see people that hurt one another, and that's that stench of death. But whenever you put that in comparison with life, a newborn baby, who in this room doesn't like holding a newborn baby? New life. You compare the two, sin and righteousness. You, try, you can pretty it up all as you want, but sin and death are still something ugly that all of us want to avoid. But I think a lot of times we pretty up the idea of sin or the idea of death, and sometimes we need to be reminded of it. We need to be reminded of it in our lives. Whenever maybe we stumble, I have a, a missionary who recently has stumbled into some sinful behavior, and I've had to deal with him on it, and, and he doesn't want to deal with the stench of that. He wants to say, it's really not that bad. And I told him, it offends God. It offends him. Is that not enough? that you should not want to do it. Forget what culture says or what you read in magazines. If you know that this thing offends God and it's a stench to him, why would you want to hold on to that? This is the man that died for you. Why would you try to hold on to something that would be offensive to him? We need to be reminded. And I think that in this new job and in walking through these things and seeing these ugly things, I've been reminded not only of sin of other people, but of my own sin. 
And, I, you know, for me, I, have, I haven't really struggled in certain areas where some of my, my, my fellow uh, other men, godly men that I know have struggled in. But for me, my, my struggle has always been violence. Since I was a small child, my first reaction to anything that I don't like is always violence. And just recently, uh, my son started playing uh, peewee football. And uh, that was an interesting experience, especially in Texas. Um, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, and one of the coaches did something that, re- that just really upset me, the way that he treated my son. And my fist balled up. I got angry, but I felt like I could hold it in and control it. Um, but that night as I laid in bed, and I did say some things to the coach, but I feel like I didn't lose my testimony at that point. I was really close. Um, but as I'm laying in bed at night before I go to bed, uh, I really feel like that I had given this violence thing and, and, and my, my desire to run to violence. I've given it to the Lord, and I haven't, I haven't really seen it in a long time. And there as I'm laying in bed that night, I catch myself thinking about how I could hurt that coach. And it terrified me. And the Lord reminded me, that darkness, Jeremy, it's not gone. It's still there. You have to let me shine in there so that that doesn't creep back up. The darkness that all of us walked out of whenever we said we wanted to follow Christ, it's still there. You have not yet been made complete. So you have to let his light shine every day inside of you. Because it will creep back up and take control of your life. And you will offend the very one who died for you. That darkness in his eyes is conquered forever, but for us, we have to die every day to him and say, Lord, let your light shine in me. Reveal those ugly things in me. So what I did, it scared me to death just to, to, to know that it was probably 20 minutes into it before I realized what I was doing. And I got up and I spent some time in the Word and then we met with the church. I think it was two days later. I just confessed it to him. I said, listen, I know I'm supposed to be some holy, godly missionary, but I'm not, Okay. And I had this thought. And I'm ashamed of it. Because I even let, I I didn't act it out, thank the Lord, but I let the enemy have control of my mind. And I don't want that for me or my kids. And I just ask you to pray for me. Man, those folks that got after it praying for me and lifted me up. And I I feel like I'm back to where I need to be. I feel like the light's shining inside of me again. But, But here I am. And I live my life to serve the Lord, and that light cre- or that darkness crept up on me. It's there with us every day. Don't forget the stench of it. Don't just say, well, this one time's not going to be that bad, because it offends God. Um, the good news is, as we've been talking about, Jesus dispels the darkness. Go to John chapter 1. says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and all things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Life was in him, 
And that life was the light of men. It's the very life that he passed on to us. That light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man called John who was sent from God. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light who gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And the world was created through him, yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. So, Jesus dispels the darkness. His very presence um, is a presence of life and light. For those of you here uh, who are followers of Jesus, um, he has brought you into that light. He has drawn you into the light and given you the opportunity to live there. But that's, that can be pretty scary because that exposes us. It shows us for who we really are. But it isn't through that that we actually can know God because we, we are able to even embrace our shame of who we, who we are, who we were, and say, but that's okay because Jesus, he's taken that all away. He's made me into a new creation, and those things are forgiven, and the old has passed away, and behold, I've, I've become new. Um, we've tried to fix our problems uh, by using things that we thought would bring light. Government. Um, we're just, just finishing a very difficult uh, election process, and it certainly did not bring peace. Um, it broke households. Uh, it caused very difficult conversations. You couldn't even go on Facebook for a matter of months because it was just so depressing to be on there and to hear the fighting. Because there are so many people, even amongst us Christians, that think that that's the answer. That's the thing that's going to fix it all. If we just get our guy or our girl in there, it's going to fix everything. And we will get our way. That's how we fell in the first place, was trying to get our way. But we've tried the government thing. And though I, and I've lived all over the world, and I will say that this country is the greatest country in the world. But it's still broken. And our problems aren't fixed because politicians can't fix our problems. You see politicians trying to go into South Sudan and fix that, and it just gets worse. You see the U.N. move in there, and the fighting continues. We can't fix it because we're just bringing darkness to darkness. That doesn't change the situation. But there is someone who can change it, and we all know who that is. I'm going to tell you about a few of my friends. Um, one guy, his name is Nole. Mole was a raider uh, amongst the Karamajong, and the best way for me to describe uh, African raiders and these warrior tribes are imagine land pirates, okay? Um, they go from place to place, and they're taking what they want, um, and oftentimes that includes killing, 
that includes rape, uh, pillaging, stealing, um, really ugly things everywhere they went. And Nole was a young man, he's probably in his mid-twenties, and he was a writer, and um, he actually saw the Jesus film, heard a message uh, about who Jesus was, and he came to us and he said, I don't want this life anymore. Can you teach me the path of Jesus? And of course we did, and we baptized him, and we began to disciple him, and in seeing that, all of his Raider friends, they watched him for about a year, and everything about him changed. The way he treated people, the way that he treated his wife and his kids. And then they came to us and said, we don't know what you gave Nole, but can you tell us about that too? Because we want it too. And it set off a chain reaction amongst the Karamajong. And there for a period of about three months, we were baptizing new believers, sometimes up to 30 believers a Sunday, every single time we gathered together. Because this one man said, I want the light in my life. And guess what it did? Did it just stay inside of him? What does light do? It shines. And as it began to shine, people said, man, I could use some of that light in my life. And people were drawn to Ngole. And many people came to Christ because of the light that was in his life. And now those very same people are shining light in new places. I want to tell you about a young man named Simon. Simon was a professed believer who was going to a church that is in a nearby town whenever we met him. And um, he was hired on to work for me um, on my compound. And I'll be honest, he and I didn't hit it off too good in the beginning um, because he professed to be a believer, but he was very self-righteous, and he thought everybody else um, were terrible, and he was great. Um, and that kind of person has never really, I've never really gotten along with him very well. Um, and so I almost fired him, but one of, my, um, when I, one of my good friends says, you know what, let me talk to him, and let's give him two more weeks, and we did. And during that time was whenever we showed this Jesus film uh, where several of these guys came to Christ. And what had happened with Simon is that he had become a legalist, and he loved following rules because he knew he could do that. They, they, the, this church in town has told me if I follow these rules, uh, then I'm a Christian. Uh, but whenever we showed the Jesus film, he came to me and he says, I never knew about that guy. He says, I, I, you know, I thought I was doing right, but I want to follow Jesus because he is somebody that could teach me the way to live. I don't want rules anymore. And now Simon was my right hand for the last four years. And we planted churches together. We shared the gospel together. And he opened himself up completely to the light. His wife, whose name is Regina, um, she did not for a long time. And he would come, and we, he and I would go and share the gospel, and he would come home, and his baby daughter would be covered in witchcraft. His mother had taken, uh, Simon's wife had taken their daughter to the witch doctor, and he comes home, and he's just broken because he's trying to shine light in his family, and while he's gone, his wife is participating in witchcraft with their children. And um, that went on for a long time, and Simon wept and cried um, but he let the light shine. He came to me one time, and he says, um, he came to my house, and the Karamajong never cry, never. Men never cry. Uh, and, and he came to my house, and he was weeping, and I said, Simon, what is wrong? He said, I did something really bad. And I said, well, tell me what happened. He said his wife was abusing their daughter and, and throwing her up against the, the, the fence, and he backhanded her and slapped her. And he says, I feel very ashamed because I did it out of anger. 
And he says, I know I'm not supposed to hit my wife. Where the rest of the culture believes that hitting your wife is, is necessary. He already knows that he's not supposed to hit her. And he came to me, he confessed that. We worked with him and did some counseling and stuff. But I have good news. Regina came to Christ. And she was baptized about a year ago. And now she is, she is out of all the people that we have, she's our best evangelist. Can you believe that? Like she's, Simon is amazing. And he goes and he shares the stories of God's word. And he's always been the best. And then she comes to Christ. And suddenly he's kind of a second-class storyteller. And he's like, well, I'm okay with this because I was praying that God would save her. I just didn't know he would save her and then make her a better evangelist than me. But I'm cool with it. And... Um, their daughter was dedicated just last week. Uh, and so the light shone in his life, and it affected those around him. Um, Nalabe, another young man who uh, worked for me, very quiet, and uh, he worked for me for about four months before I'd ever heard him really say anything. You'd tell him to go and do something, he'd go and do it. He'd say yes or no, and he would say good morning, and that's it. Just a very quiet guy. And... Uh, he came to Christ once again that same time we showed the Jesus film. And what we were doing at that time was that we were saying, okay, uh, once you've come to Christ, we want you to share your testimony immediately. And so we had three nights that we were, I think it was four nights that we were showing the Jesus film. And several of these guys came to Christ on the first night. And so we asked them to share their testimony the other nights. Well, the last night I had saved for Nala Bay because I thought, I don't know what this, I don't know if he can talk. I mean, he's that quiet. Uh, and we asked him to get up in front uh, of a group of about maybe 250 people uh, and share how he had come to follow Jesus. And I was nervous because I thought he's just going to get up there and say like 10 words and then walk off. He got up there and this booming voice came out. And he began to tell people about how Jesus saved him and changed him. Uh, and I was dumbfounded because he's also very tall and he is the son of a great chief. And so the people were just like silent, listened to every word that he, that he said. And still now, he doesn't preach, he doesn't tell stories, but he is their, he, <laughs> I'm sorry, he is their um, invitation specialist. And it's so crazy in this culture, like they go and like these other guys, they'll preach and they'll, they'll share the stories. And then he stands up and he has this authority and he says, you back there on the back row. I saw you drinking last week, stumbling around town, you need Jesus. Get up here and meet Jesus, and he'll take that away, and you can know the truth. I know back there you're cheating on your husband because I done heard about it. Get up here and know Jesus and make your, make your marriage right. He says all these things, and I'm sitting back there thinking, oh, my goodness, there is going to be a riot. <laughs> and guess what? Joker back there on the back row gets up, starts crying, walks up, and says, he's right. I'm a drunk, and I need Jesus. And I'm thinking, I'm so glad that these national guys are in charge of it because I would have never had the boldness to do that. And then Nala Bay will close his mouth and you won't hear him say another word until they give another invitation. It's like he saves it all up. Uh, but God shone in his life and it changed him. And he can say those things because they know he lives in such a way that he's serving Christ and so they allow him to speak hard truths into their lives. Lo Chong Ko, um, he came to Christ actually in 1995. He's Karamajong, and 
there was another group of missionaries, another of our, of our IMB missionaries that were there. And um, Karamoja is a rough place, and there's a lot of guns and a lot of fighting. And um, he had come to follow Christ, and a couple of weeks later, the missionary who was there, uh, they were ambushed on a road, uh, and their, their car was shot up with an AK-47, and uh, his daughter took a bullet in the chest, and it was through and through her lung, and she's, she's still alive. She's married, living in North Carolina, um, but that was the last straw for them, and, and they packed their bags, and they, they went back to the States and, uh, for her recovery, and then they ended up staying, and... Um, so Lotong Cole heard the gospel and accepted Christ in the late 90s, but then there was nobody there to disciple him. And we were in a, vi- in a village, and uh, I was sharing stories, and, and Simon was with me, and we were sharing, and I said, Simon, that man over there, there's something going on. We need to talk to him. And we walked over and spoke to him, and see, he said, yes, I, I know Jesus. I came to Christ way back whenever Bruce was here, but no one has ever discipled me. Would you teach me the way of Jesus? And in sitting with him, it's like he had the light, but he's been holding on to this one little candle, and he doesn't know anything about the gospel. All he knows is that Jesus saved him, and he doesn't know anything else. He doesn't have a Bible. He can't read. There are no churches there at that time. And so he was just hanging on to the hope that Jesus was real and that someday someone would come and explain to him more of the truth. And then I said, yeah, come on, let's disciple you. Lotong Cole has recently passed his reading exam. He has learned to read so that he can read his own Bible and he can share it with other people. Like his light that he held on to is now a dadgum bonfire. And he and his partner are about to go and plant a church in a completely different area. This is what happens whenever we let the light of Jesus overcome the darkness. Um. I'm going to tell you the rest of Lagolamoy's story. Um, as you heard, if you remember, she, she hung herself. And it was about that time uh, that we had some of our missionaries that were driving down the road. And people flagged them down. And they said, we have a dead woman here that needs, her body needs to be taken to the, to the hospital so it can be dealt with. And um, so our guys got out and they ran over to the tree. And they noticed that the woman was still alive. And they took the rope off of her neck. And they carried her body to the truck, and they drove her uh, to the hospital. And this woman is poor, and she's old, and she's from an unwanted tribe. And no one cares for her. No, even her own sons betrayed her. No one loves this woman. And as our missionaries carried this old, thin almost dead woman into the hospital, I heard somebody say, because there aren't a whole lot of white people where we live, I heard someone say, who are those white people? And why are they carrying her? And the person that was sitting next to him said something that made me more proud than I've ever been. He said, those are the Christians. And that was his full answer. See, there, for them, the Christians are the only people who've ever cared. The only people who've ever stuck it out and and cleaned their wounds and helped them. And that's what we're supposed to be. He was the light to our darkness. And now we have to be the light in this darkness. That was our command. That we are to be light in a dark place. John chapter 8 Verse 12, um, 
You guys know this verse. You don't have to look it up. I'll, I'll read it just real quickly. Um, Did I say that right? That's Acts. John chapter 8, verse 12. It says, Then Jesus spoke to them again, and he said, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Everybody in here has probably heard that verse or knows that verse very well, but there's something that we skip over. Following is a continued action. You can walk down this aisle and come to know Jesus as your Savior, and, and, and you can understand that your sins can be taken away. But this passage says, anyone who follows me will have the light of life. Coming down and saying something is not following. That's the first step of following. But many times what I find, and I've found it a lot here in America, and unfortunately with a lot of my friends. They came down and they made a decision, uh, but their following didn't last very long because Jesus went into some uncomfortable places. And they recognized the light, and they're sitting here in their life and doing their job and the things that they're comfortable with, with their family and their house, and they say, yeah, I see the light right over there. There's Jesus. He's over there. I know him. I know about him. I know what he believes. I know what he's teaching over there. But guess what? The light is over there, and they're sitting in their dark house because their day-to-day life is not following Jesus. They're living off of an experience that they had 5, 10, 15, 50 years ago when they came down and, and made a decision, but they're not daily following after Jesus. It's the daily seeking after him that allows that light to be shown in your life and reveals to, to, to you and to him um, the sin in your life and, and how you can overcome that. by. So my, my encouragement to you today, if you want light, follow him into those scary places. Uh, for some of you, uh, that may mean God's got a call on your life to start a new ministry in this area. Um, but that's scary because maybe you have to start, quit your job or or maybe invest some money or whatever, but if God is laying that call in your life, follow him into that scary place and you will find his light shining there. Maybe for some of you, God's put a call on your heart um, to go to the mission field for a short-term trip or maybe even go there for, for the rest of your life. It's scary, but follow him there. Don't stay here and let the light continue on because he's wanting to bring you into those places and reveal new things about who he is and his character. Uh, for some of you, it may be reaching out to your next-door neighbor who you know is going through a rough time, but it's scary to knock on that door. Find those ways to follow Jesus and let him be the one that leads your life, not you. And remembering that story about Lamolamoy. After we took her to the hospital, the hospital refused her. And they said, just let her. They told us, and it's hard to believe. They said, she's old, just let her die. And we said, no, we will not do that. And we brought her back to our home, and we nursed her back to health. And she, was, she became my wife's, one of her closest friends. Um, 
She's heard the gospel numerous times. Um, she's trying to move closer to understanding and, and following Jesus. She's not there yet. Um, but I want, I want you to know that how God created the church and his Christians is that we are supposed to be the spiritual first responders in this world. If you remember on 9-11, there's all the stories about uh, the first responders that are, that are running into uh, the, world, the, the World Trade Center to save people, running into danger. We see it every day here in our world that there are those of us, uh, there, there are those among us here who are brave enough to run into danger for the sake of saving a life. In the church, we are supposed, that's supposed to be what we're known for. When things are dangerous, we don't fear. We leave our fear aside and we go because those are the people who need us. The lightness shines that much brighter in the darkness. So I encourage you to find the darkness wherever you're at. If God's telling you to go overseas, do it. If he's telling you to start something here, do it. But at the very least, find a lost person in your life that you can share with. Uh, find somebody who's struggling as a family and pour into their lives and let yourself be light in that situation and see how God blesses you through that and teaches you more about his character. Um, Brian, why don't you come up? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for you, for you guys. And uh, If you have something that you want to lay before the Lord, if you I usually end kind of my speaking with giving you an opportunity to, to, to deal with the Lord. There's not any special or magical place to do that. If you want to come forward, if you want to sit in your, in your pew and just be with the Lord and ask him, where are you leading me? What do you want me to do? Um, is it with my family? Is it overseas? What is it that you want me to do? Because I don't want the light to pass me by. I want to be right there with you. And the good thing about light and darkness is, even if maybe you've gotten lazy in your walk and you've, you've let some opportunities pass on, whenever you're in the dark, you can see light for a really far away. It can be miles and miles and miles away and you can find your way back to his presence. So bow your heads with me for a moment, please. Lord, I just thank you for the, the humbling opportunity it is to be with my brothers and sisters here this morning and just be reminded of your goodness and your power over the darkness. Lord, it should give us courage. We don't have to be afraid whenever we're surrounded on every side by darkness and hatred and bad things. And Lord, we don't have to be afraid whenever we feel the darkness in our own hearts and we can't overcome that addiction of that attitude, Lord. We don't have to be afraid because we know that your light can shine into our lives and chase away the darkness. Father, I just pray that you give us an opportunity uh, to meet personally with you this morning, to hear from you, and to know what it is you desire from us. Let us open ourselves up, Lord, not hiding any part of ourselves so that you can shine on us and cleanse us of anything that is displeasing to you. We love you.